Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. If you're here for the first time, we're so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. Uh, you know, one of the things about our church is that we do, we want to uh, do whatever we can to get the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth, to get the gospel around the world, but also we want to get the gospel to our city. Uh, and so we, we come around, all, all we, we try to do whatever we can to get the gospel to all people. Um, and one of the things that we do is uh, we emphasize the poor, the orphan, the widow, the unwed mother, and the refugee. And so we come around things like Serve Week, which just ended, and uh, we come around our community partners and giving and all sorts of things. And so uh, one of the things last week that I was super thankful for as we looked at Better Together kind of just showed them, you know, they, they talked about how they'll often go to churches of thousands of people and they won't get a single sign up uh, to help them. Last week, y'all, our church filled out uh, totally their sign up sheet. Uh, they were just blown away by all that God did. And so I was just super thankful for that and just kind of shows the heart of our church. You know, today we're, um, we're in week two of our Christmas series titled The Christmas Spirit, Angels, Prophecies, and the Spirit of God. And I, and I think this is a fun series. Uh, because uh, in the first few chapters of Luke, we see something of the supernatural almost on every single page. Um, we see angels, prophetic visions, uh, the Spirit of God doing something miraculous, really just in the whole first four chapters of Luke. Uh, I mean, throughout the entire Bible, but it's, it's all over the page in those first few chapters. And we think about the Christmas story, you know, it's easy for us to jump to chapter two, Luke chapter two with the manger scene uh, and kind of lose sight of all that happens before that in chapter one. Um, everything that leads up to Jesus is birth. And so this year we're looking at the whole story in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Uh, and you know, as we last week we looked at the introduction to the book of Luke, saying that this entire book uh, was written so that we would have certainty of faith. And then we looked at the first story in Luke chapter 1, seeing Zechariah the priest uh, and his wife Elizabeth, seeing all sorts of things with the angel Gabriel coming to speak to Zechariah. We saw that he had this big moment in the temple uh, during a really dark time in history, and the angel tells him that he and his wife, um, they're going to have a baby named John. And this was, uh, as we saw last week, that was, this was the first announcement of hope that has come uh, within about 400 years um, that, God people, that God's people had witnessed. And the Spirit of God, as we see, as we step into the book of Luke, the Spirit of God is beginning to stir. And Zechariah, um, he expressed some doubts, to ha- that a claim that they would have a baby because, um, well, they were a little bit older uh, and able to, unable to have kids. And as we saw last week, his doubting put... Uh, I guess we could say it put him in timeout uh, for about nine months because he was unable to speak. And ultimately what we saw last week through Zechariah's story was the danger of doubt. We saw judgment displayed uh, through the story. And at the end of the story from last week, we saw a miraculous conception with elderly Elizabeth coming in and becoming pregnant. It was just a total miracle of God. Well, this week, as we look at the contrasting story, we're going to see another miraculous birth uh, with the Virgin Mary uh, conceiving Jesus. Uh, and we'll see the same angel, uh, the angel Gabriel that went to Zechariah, um, also come to Mary, um, claiming that Mary will have a baby while remaining a virgin. 
And, and we will see a similar shock with Mary about the angel's claim, um, a very similar response uh, as Zechariah. Well, they're not exactly the same. And I love what the author Luke is doing here um, in this first chapter, right after um, he gives us the purpose of the book, um, that we can have certainty about what we have been taught. So he, Luke, he's giving us a, a picture right, off the, right out of the gate of uncertain Zechariah, a picture of a man who showed doubt. And then he, like Luke, he contrasts it immediately with a picture of Mary who shows faith and hope. A picture of Mary who, yes, uh, is curious of, the, of how all of this is going to work. But we're going to see her to have certainty in the power of God. She's going to have faith and hope. Again, between both of these stories from last week and this week, we're going to see the same angel announce to them a miraculous birth. Uh, but th- yet they're gonna, the response and the end result are going to be drastically different. Zechariah was left unable, unable to speak, where Mary, as we'll see, is going to be left singing in praise. Again, last week we saw the danger of doubt and judgment displayed with Zechariah, and this week we see the gift of faith and hope and grace displayed with Mary ultimately leading us to our main idea that we're going to see today is that faith and hope lead us to worshipful joy. And again, one of the main themes of Christmas is that it's an announcement of hope for into a world that is longing for hope. And from the very beginning of the Christmas story, we see that hope is coming. We start to see that God is stirring, that God is moving from the very beginning of Luke. And as our main idea suggests, we'll see Mary display both faith and hope. We'll see that her faith and hope is going to move her to a worshipful joy. It will move her to praise the Lord, singing a song of praise. And as we get into this story, we're going we're gonna to see all sorts of things happening that give um, her hope, which moves her to joy in her worship. Ultimately, what we're going to see today is we're going to see Mary's path towards worshipful joy. We're going to see a path to joy today. The end of the road today, is, it's Mary bursting in praise. And I want you to try to hang with me here for about five minutes um, before we really get into this story. And I want to take a, a kind of, I want to break apart some of these words, um, seeing the connection between faith, hope, and joy, because they're all connected. You know, these are all words uh, that we often use around Christmas. And we don't talk about joy around Christmas uh, because of the Christmas lights or because of uh, presents or decorations or Buddy the Elf, right? Like this is not why we talk about joy. They're all connected. They, they, all these words, they build on each other. Uh, because, and today is, like, today is not three steps to a happier life. That's not what we're going for today. But I do think we find a few essential elements that can move us towards joy. And I do want to be clear about this. Like we can be both sad and also have joy at the same time. Like both can simultaneously be true. We can be, have sadness and, and grief over the evil and brokenness of the world that is all around us that we all experience and also have joy in the, brokenness of, in the midst of a, brokenness of a broken world. Like I can look at my sweet little baby girl that was just born two months old and smile at how cute she is and yet still have to change a dirty diaper and be like smelling something very unpleasant. Like both can be true. She can be both very cute and be very yucky all at the same time. And I think we can agree, like there are a lot of things that can move us to be joyful. We can find joy in a lot of things like people and sports and family and and music and friendships or school or work or, 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 or sunsets, whatever it is. But we have to also agree that those things don't last. Like we can, we can listen to Christmas music and find joy. 
But that's, but again, that's not why we find joy. That's not why or how we find joy at Christmas. That's not why we find joy. That's not the ultimate joy that we find at Christmas. Ultimately, it's Christmas. The only thing that will give us a lasting joy forever is Jesus. Like our joy, it's connected to our hope. And I also know we can like, we can know this intellectually to be true. We can know this as kind of the Sunday school answer. Like, yeah, Jesus is my joy. I know that. I got the right answer. But we have to also ask, like, how? Why? Like, how does this actually work? And well, one of the ways that God gives us joy, we have joy is through the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is given to us by God through the Spirit of God. It's a gift to us. It's a supernatural gift to us. But I also know if we popped open the hood to what moves us to joy, one of the things we would see as we kind of inspect this idea is that having hope can move us to joy. For example, when when kids are hopeful about Christmas morning, they're going to express excitement. They're going to have an eagerness. There there will be a joyful experience. They have hope that there's going to be a joyful experience. Like when you're hopeful about a basketball t- team being good and you're excited and joyful about the season ahead, but maybe you're, but maybe you're not so hopeful uh, if, if you're not, like maybe you're not so joyful if you're not really hopeful about your basketball team. Again, one of the things that moves us to joy is a sense of hope. And again, this shouldn't surprise us because of the, op- the opposite of this is also true. Because if hope moves us to excitement and joy, then it's no surprise that hopelessness can move us to kind of a moping or an apathy. It can move us towards the path of depression. Like hopelessness is a very telling sign of depression. But again, on the flip side, being hopeful can put us in the direction of joy, which is what we'll see with Mary. Mary was moved to joy because God showed her grace, because God announced to her uh, about the birth of Jesus, and it was building her faith, which moved her to find hope, ultimately leading her to worshipful joy. Like, that's kind of the progression we're going to see today. We're going to see Mary's faith lead her to hope, uh, and which is going to move her to joy. Now, I want you to try to stay with me just a little bit longer as I explain all of this, uh, showing how faith, hope, and, conne- and, and joy, how they're all connected. Uh, because again, these are all words that we use often. Um, but to put it a little bit more clearly, um, hope is the future tense of joy. Uh, hope is the future tense of faith, excuse me. Hope is trusting that our current faith will give us a better tomorrow. Hope is found when we believe that what we currently have in our current faith will give us a better future. And ultimately, as Christians, our ultimate hope for a better future, it's found in, it's found in heaven. And so our current faith in Jesus gives us hope that our eternal future is secure and will be filled with everlasting joy. And so that hope, so that hope it can give us joy today. And believe me, I know, again, I know how easy it is to find hope uh, and, and to misplace our faith and hope in something other than Jesus. Like, we all do this in some way every day, which is why we can often struggle to find joy at times because we ultimately place our hope in a job or maybe a person or material possessions or success or our kids' obedience or whatever it is. And because of that, our joy is often gonna come and go with it. Like if we follow what we're hoping in, we'll get a really I- a good idea of where and how we find joy. Um, and quite honestly, you know, one of the, the, the most, some of the most joyful people I've ever met to, in, to American standards maybe would be considered to be in detrimental or extreme poverty if they lived within the United States. And some, of, some may be even on the verge of life uh, or like a life or death health crisis. 
And so to us, their circumstances would maybe not be so great, but yet because Jesus is where they find hope and not in their health or possessions or what they have or don't have, their joy often stays the same day to day. Again, what we'll see is Mary's faith in the Lord and what the angel said, it moved her to hope, ultimately leading her to find worshipful joy. So let's go ahead and start working through our text. Um, Look, starting in verse 26 to get to our story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so, again, following the story from last week, we see it's been about six months um, from following Elizabeth's miraculous conception. And then the angel Gabriel uh, comes to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a young girl named Mary. And it says uh, she's betrothed uh, to Joseph, which kind of means it's like like being engaged. And Joseph, he was from the line of David, which is a well-known family that we see see in the Old Testament. And Nazareth, um, this was like a nowhere town. Now, Nazareth was out in the sticks. It was out in the boonies, so to speak. And so here we have little old Virgin Mary out in little old Nazareth. And we see uh, on the scene, we see the angel Gabriel kind of pop up uh, where we see the same angel from last week. Look what the angel says. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Like, can you imagine what Mary would have thought as a young, likely a teenage girl, maybe 13 or 14 years old, sitting in her house and an angel pops up and says, hello, O favored one. Like, uh, hello, my special person, the Lord is with you. Maybe we could say it would be like maybe the CIA coming to your house and saying, we've chosen you for our special task. Like, you'd be like, "Uh, why me? Um, what have I, like, what's going on here? Uh, I think there, there would be a little bit of confusion. And w- for Mary, I mean, because there's an angel in her house, I think that would make you a little curious. But two, I think you'd be wondering what in the world is going on, which is what happened to her. Look at verse 29. It says, And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And notice it says she was troubled at the saying, at the, what the angel said. And she wasn't necessarily troubled at seeing the angel, uh, but nonetheless, we do know it says she was troubled. She was trying to figure out what was going on, which again, seems like a normal response here. And look what the angel says to her in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So that word favor there, it literally means grace. So the angel is coming to her and saying, you have found grace with God. God is showing grace to Mary. Mary is about to be the recipient of God's grace, being chosen to birth the Savior of the world. And so the very first thing Mary had to understand was that she was a recipient of grace, which we'll see is going to be incredibly faith-building for her. And it leads us to our first point. Number one, worshipful joy is built on grace-based faith. So something we have to understand here is that our story finds itself in a very unique time in history, a very unique time in our faith. Mary was living with an Old Testament faith and is quite literally about to give birth to our New Testament faith that we hold on to today. And what is at the core of the New Testament faith was the grace of God that is realized through Jesus. When Jesus was birthed onto the scene, he was birthing us into a faith that is built on God's grace. And here is Mary being a recipient of God's grace. 
Prior to this, yes, Mary had an understanding of God, but now she's growing to understand the grace of God. Mary's growing to understand the, this idea of grace, of getting something that she did not deserve. Like she did not earn any of this. And so Mary's faith is growing, it's developing. She's beginning to get a more picture, a more full picture of who God is as the angel is beginning to announce to her about, uh, all the, about the birth of Christ. Again, we're, we're starting to lay the foundation that led Mary to, towards a joyful uh, praise. And that first layer was her faith. It was receiving the grace of God. She was beginning to receive something she absolutely did not earn. She did nothing more religious uh, than the other person. I mean, I think, we, I think we could agree out of the two stories here in, the, in chapter, Luke chapter one, uh, Elizabeth would have been the one that we would think to birth Jesus being the wife of a priest, being from the descendant of Aaron. She had, she had the religious resume, so to speak. Um, they had the religious credibility, but Mary, she didn't have any of it, but yet she received God's grace. Mary didn't pray for this. She didn't ask for this. She didn't earn it. No, God simply saw her and said, you are highly favored and not because of you, but simply and only because of God. In New City, what God said to Mary of her receiving grace and being seen as highly favored, like because of the gospel, the, same, the exact same is true for you and me today. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, for those who put their faith in Jesus, God looks at us and says, you're favored. He looks at you and says, if you are in Christ, you have found favor with God. If today you're walking with Jesus, that is nothing but grace to you. You didn't earn that. No, God gave it to you. The grace of God, it is essential to our faith. Without grace, our faith is not stable. Without grace, we're not seen as favored. New City, the grace of Jesus Christ that is shown to us at the cross, it declares to us that we are holy, set apart, and that God, he has a plan and a purpose for our life. And why do we get all of this? Well, it's because of grace. Your, our path to joy, it begins with our faith in the Lord that is founded on the grace of God. And it doesn't start, our, our path to joy, it doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with our needs. It doesn't start with our desires. No, our path to joy begins with looking at God and realizing, God, you have shown me grace. We're on the flip, flip side, a path to a life that may struggle to find joy. It's often gonna begin with us, focusing on my problems and my needs and my financial woes and my relationship struggles, my kid, I mean, just my, my, my. In New City, it doesn't lead us often to a life of worshipful praise. It leads to often a frustrated life that, that may struggle to find joy. Again, the path to joy begins rem remembering the grace that God has shown us at the cross. It begins with seeing God's grace that was given to us through Jesus. Again, the, the, the path to joy begins with us remembering that God looks at us and says, you're loved, you're redeemed, and he says, you're my chosen child. And it's not because of what you've done, but it's because of, of grace that God declared over us. And let's look at how the story continues. Look at what the angels continues to say, um, continue to lay the, the foundation of our faith. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. 
And so, uh, so the angel comes to Mary and says uh, about her son, like, to name him Jesus, and that he's going to be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, which is another name of a way to say you'll be called the Son of God. And with what all, all of what we just read, the angel is bringing in an Old Testament prophetic promise that we see from 2 Samuel chapter 7. When God says to David, uh, to, from David's offspring, God will raise up someone whom God would be his father, and he would be God's son. And this special person that, that, they, that was promised, his kingdom would be forever. And here is Mary hearing from this angel that she's going to conceive and birth this child. She's going to birth this child that was promised hundreds of years prior. So this angel is telling teenage Mary that her son will reign over a kingdom that will last forever. I mean, can you imagine this 13 or 14-year-old girl hearing that her son is going to be the king that lasts forever. Like her son is going to be the, the forever king that's going to reign over the eternal king, kingdom. Like this is a really big deal. And look what Mary says in response. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now if we learned anything from Zechariah from last week, we should, be, we should be a little concerned for Mary at this point with her response. Because this is very, very similar to Zachariah's response to Gabriel that, that put Zachariah in time out, unable to speak. Uh, look back at verse 18 when Zechariah questioned the angel. He, he said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Again, Mary just said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Like these things seem pretty similar. But, ma to, but to Mary, the angel responds and answers as if it was an honest question. But to Zechariah, he was made mute. Again, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no judge here, but it sure does seem like Mary got away with something uh, and Zechariah got unjustly punished. But we have to understand the difference because what Zechariah wanted that we saw last week was assurance. He wanted certainty. He had a level of doubt. Like he didn't actually believe it would happen. He said, how shall I know this? Basically asking, how can I know this is true? How can I trust that this will happen? So Zachariah's question was a question showing uncertainty and doubt inside of him, where Mary's question was a more of a, a, curi a curious question. Like, how is this going to happen? She didn't doubt that it would happen. She was just unsure of how it would happen. It was an honest question. She was a, uh, she was a, she was a virgin engaged to be married. And she was like, okay, all of this sounds a little bit crazy. Um, God's going to give me a baby. And so how's this going to work? Well, look what the angel says as a response. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So, so basically saying that God uh, and the power of God, the Holy Spirit and the power of God are going to make it happen. And no, I want to make this clear. God, uh, God did not have sex with Mary as Muslims will often claim about this text. Like uh, they'll, they'll say that in, in a sense of trying to claim that the Bible is not holy. No, God simply put Jesus inside of her. She would not conceive in a human way, but in a God-ordained way, showing that Jesus would be a total miracle, that Jesus would be set apart and holy. Like Mary would not play a part in making her son Jesus, but she would simply just carry and birth her son. Again, all of this was pure grace and Mary did nothing to earn this. Like Mary would be a part of a total miracle of experience.
experiencing and receiving the grace of God in a powerful way. And because of this, Mary's faith in God is beginning to grow and deepen. And then the angel gives another detail here that I want us to take note of, kind of getting into our next point. As we sort of move into our next point, the angel Gabriel, uh, look, at, look at verse 36, what, what Gabriel said. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, with, her, with her who was called barren. And so we find out Mary is related to um, Elizabeth, and we're not really sure how they're related. Uh, I would assume, I would guess, if, if I, I would guess maybe an aunt of some sort, maybe a cousin. Um, we're not really sure, but we do know that they're related and they know each other. And so the angel tells Mary, hey, um, oh yeah, there's this other crazy thing that's gonna happen. Your aunt Liz that has, is a little elderly that hasn't been able to have babies for years. Oh yeah, she's pregnant too. And then what the angel says next, um, this is a memory verse. Look what the angel says in verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's faith was in the Lord. And here we see an angel expressing to Mary a type of faith that Mary is to believe, that nothing is impossible with God. Y'all, this was a declaration of faith from the angel Gabriel, and it was for Mary to believe. And it was, that was what the angel declared was true, that nothing is impossible with God. It was a declaration of belief to believe that the impossible is possible with the Lord. It was a declaration of faith that God is a big God. And I want to just stop and ask the question, church, do we believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that anything is possible with God? Do you believe that God can heal the sick? Do you believe that God can save and redeem the person that just seems totally like unredeemable? Do you believe that God uh, like can, can, can save the person, uh, can, can restore your relationship that seems unrestorable? And no, God doesn't answer all of our prayers, but do we believe that God is able? Like, do we, do we believe that he's able to do the impossible? Because that's faith. Faith is a complete confidence in be, being sure of what you can't see. And this type of faith leads to a worshipful joy, leading us to our next point. Number two, worshipful joy comes from believing in a big God. When we wholeheartedly believe in a big God, when our faith reflects the greatness of God that can truly do the impossible, it leads us to joy. It leads us to worship. When we pray for God to save and believe God can do it and pray with faith, it leads us to worship. It leads us to joy. Praying for God to do the impossible, it's an act of worship. You know, it's, it's really hard to pray for really big things, truly believing that God can do it and not have a smile on your face. Like I, I think about these types of, of things that we pray for our church often. Uh, and how much joy we can reap just, just in praying and just in asking. Like what an incredible joy it is to pray for the day when we can baptize 100 people. Like what a joy it is to believe in hope for the day when every child in our city has a home. 
I mean, just, just dream. I mean, just smile with me about the day when we're commissioning out dozens of missionaries and dozens of uh, people to plant churches year after year. Let the Lord bring a smile to your face with praise and with hope. Thinking about uh, like the, the, the day when we can uh, t- tell story after story after story of marriages restored and relationships revived and sick healed and then downcast renewed. Like when we struggle to believe in a big God that can do the impossible, our hope and our joy are at risk. But New City, we serve a big God that wants this joy for us. And I refuse to let our church settle for anything less than this. I mean, I just think about our year-end offering. Oh, I have no doubt in my mind um, that God can bring in $41,000 over and above our normal tithes and offering. It's it, like to, to give away for kingdom causes. Like we've seen God do this over and over again, time and time again. And we believe these things, believing in a big God, it moves us to delight in the Lord. It moves us to, to, to joy in the Lord. But yet it doesn't still leave us asking the question, kind of like Mary, like how is this going to happen? Because honestly, as we think about this year in offering, oh, I really have no clue how we'll get there. Like in, in a lot of ways, it kind of seems too big for our church. Like we're a little under 20% of our goal, and I don't know how it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. Because if I'm being honest about my own doubts, that don't move me to joy, but move me to doubt and unbelief, one of the things that I think about for us is a thought that we can so easily creep into, which is we don't have to give extravagantly and sacrificially like so, because someone else can or someone else will. And they, we don't, they don't really need our money. And that's like, this is all a response of doubt and it can steal our joy. Because listen, no, God does not need your money. Like, like <laughs> he wants our hearts. God wants us to experience the joy of extravagant giving. Yes, we could talk about all the incredible needs that are all around us and all the great things that we're giving to, which we are and we will continue to do, and there are tons of needs around us. But at the end of the day, if God doesn't have our hearts and if we don't trust that God is a really big God, none of it will matter. Our giving is nothing more than a response to our faith. We give sacrificially as the response of how Jesus sacrificed for us. Yes, it's a response of faith, but it's also a step of faith. God wants generosity for us, not necessarily from us. He's not trying to take from us. He wants the joy of generosity for us. And if we struggle to believe in the Lord's provision, if we struggle to believe that God is big in all areas of our life, including our finances, if we have a gap of faith here, we're gonna struggle to give. And when we're satisfied with the Lord and we believe in a big God, we can give in a big way. Y'all, there's so much joy that we can find in, in giving generously, hilariously, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Like, it's a gift for us. Y'all, I, we've been doing, um, our family has been doing year-end offerings like this for about 10 years, year after year. And every, every year, it seems like something happens around December, like our AC breaking or cars, like, breaking hospital bills pile up something happens in the Hovis family about every December it seems like uh, I mean last week our, our van broke down uh, our family didn't make it to church because on the way here the van broke down and every every year there's a level of uh, doubt that creeps in maybe we shouldn't give as much this year because of this this and this and when that thought kind of creeps into my own heart it shows a gap of faith in believing that God is a small God And I really mean this, year after year, giving sacrificially to advance the kingdom of God around the world is one of the greatest joys that we get to experience as a family in our giving. And please, please, please hear me in this. 
we're not talking about giving as much as we have been because we want your money. Like everything we're giving is to give outside of the walls of New City. This has absolutely nothing to do with us at all. New reason, the, the New City, the reason we such, set such a big goal that makes no sense is because we believe in a big God. And we want our people to believe this and to find the joy that comes from this faith that sacrifices for the kingdom. Because we know how easy it is to hold on tight in fear and worry and to make the foundation of our faith our bank account. You know, it, it, it just baffles me that the American church, we live in one of the wealthiest times uh, in human history, and yet we're one of the least generous in the, in the times of the history of the church. And, and like, this is not a new city problem. This is not a budget problem. It's a faith problem. It's a crisis of faith. It says that we put more faith in our big bank account and big strategies than in a big God. And it has nothing to do with money and everything to, with, to do with faith in a big God. Our giving, it just represents our faith. Like, I don't think we're gonna get to heaven and think, man, I did, wish I didn't give so much money to the kingdom to advance, God, like to, to advance God's kingdom. No, we'll be worshiping in joy, celebrating the kingdom of God because we believed with every part of our life that nothing is impossible with God. And you know, I, I really mean this. I'm, I'm not kidding, like 100%. I, I totally believe this. If I had to choose between 100 people praying every single week before our service and begging for God to move, pleading for God to move among us or even like, or hitting our goal or even, even hitting a budget goal, whatever it is, nothing to do with money. I would choose 100 people praying week after week after week 100% of the time. Because what a praying people tell me is that what we believe is that we believe in faith that nothing is impossible with God. It shows that Jesus is our foundation of faith and nothing else. New City, God wants every area of our life to reflect his grandness. And we have to ask, what part of our life are we struggling to believe in a big God? And getting back to the story, you know, as we kind of keep moving, you know, when the angel said nothing is impossible with God, Mary believed it in faith. And look how she responded. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary said in humble submission to the Lord, I'm the servant of the Lord. Here I am. Do to me according to your word. Uh, it was a humble response of faith. And look what happened next after the angel left. She went to go find Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." So Mary, uh, she, go, she went to go uh, see Aunt Liz, go see Elizabeth, um, who was much older than her. And so as soon as she goes to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth's baby, it says, leaped in the womb. John was like leaping with excitement. He, he was excited. He knew like Jesus was coming, even in the womb that says this. It says the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth and filled, this, filled, uh, filled by the Spirit of God, she looked at Mary and she began to speak courage. She encouraged her. She says, you're blessed. She affirmed to Mary all that the angel uh, heard from the angel she encouraged her she built her faith leading us to see number three 
God uses our community to deepen our faith and to fuel our worshipful joy. And what I love about this specifically is how we see Elizabeth, who's older, speaking into Mary's life, who is much younger. Yes, Mary was showing faith, but didn't mean she didn't have her worries. Because remember, Mary was engaged to be married. And, and here she is, going to have to explain all of this to her husband, um, that God put a baby inside of her. Like, that's, that's not the easiest thing for a, a person to believe. And, and yes, she believed it, but she still had to wrestle with it. But when Mary saw Elizabeth, Elizabeth didn't shun her, didn't tell her to hide or tell her she was silly or tear her down. No, she fueled her faith. She encouraged her. She built her up. In New City, this is what a healthy community does. We build each other up. We encourage. We affirm what is true in each other's lives. I, I can't help but think about all the older people just that have spoken into my own life over the years. Just played a huge role in, just, in so many different ways throughout my life. Just as a, as a brand new believer, um, older guys speaking into my life. When I was in college and had all these questions and uh, older, older men just kind of helping me wrestle through hard questions. And as I was thinking about the idea of getting married and seminary and ministry and going overseas and planting a church and now having kids and just pastoring. Like we've had, I've had people speaking into my life and it's been such a huge blessing to me. Like we all need each other. We need people around us like Mary had with, with Elizabeth during her confusing time. And that's what Elizabeth did for Mary. Well, that's what our groups are for. We want to see multi-generational discipleship happen within our groups, with our, our city groups, that happen throughout the week. Like if you don't feel connected to our church, are you in a group? Our hope and prayer is that our groups will lead to a life-giving encouragement just week after week. And seeing other people like just living with joy when times are hard in their trials and in their hardship, this, this fuels our faith. This gives us hope. It builds us up. It encourages us. And look at the result. Look at how it moved Mary to, to, to joy, to sing with joy. And we're going to look at this song. I'm not, not going to sing this song. I'm going to read this song. Y'all can thank me later. Maybe one day. Probably not. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained, as it says, with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, there is so much here in every single verse. This, this is packed full with Old Testament language. It shows us how well Mary knew her Old Testament. Again, she was likely about 13 years old, and here she is bursting in praise. She's, she's singing a song that is just full of theology, which leads me to say, just as a quick, church, uh, quick note, church, may we not underestimate our youth. Like, God can use them in powerful ways. And so here is young Mary singing a song, writing a song that showed the culmination of the Old Testament that is found in Jesus. Like this song, it looks back, but it also looks forward to hope. And overall, what we see here in our last point is number four, worshipful, uh, worshipful joy. It is a response to hope. 
Mary's faith moved her to a future hope. She had faith in the Lord. But then the angel brought her hope through his declaration of Jesus' birth that was coming. And her faith was deepened, and then it started to move her towards a hopeful future, which led her to a joyful worship. Look at the, just look back at the first four verses again of the song. This is what she's saying. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So Mary is showing how this new revelation of hope found in Jesus being born has moved her soul to praise like her faith has moved her to rejoice. Mary knew God is big, but the more she understood God through what the angel said, the more her soul and spirit began to rejoice. God became bigger as her understanding of God grew. And the more her understanding grew, she began to move into sort of like a prophetic praise. And that, that verb tense that is used in the Greek here, uh, in all the following verses, Speaking about Jesus, it's, it's actually the aorist tense, which we don't, I don't think we have that in English. Um, but it looks to the future and sees it, it sees it as already done. It shows a certainty of what God will do. And so she's looking into the future as she's singing and singing about all that Jesus will do as if it has already been done. This is a hopeful confidence. She has a hopeful confidence in Jesus' strength, in goodness, and in his care, and in his faithfulness. It says, he has shown strength. It says, he's scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. The mighty. He has filled the hungry. He has helped his servant Israel. These are all things that will happen in the future, but yet she says it as if it, were, if it, were, if it already happened. These are all things that her current faith have moved her to a certainty of the future. Again, it's a culmination of us seeing that her faith has moved her to hope. And a hope that rejoices and says, I will magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. New City, this is the type of hope, this is the type of joy that we see in, in Mary's song. It's a joy that springs from hope. It comes from her confidence of what Jesus will do in the future. Which should not surprise us. Y'all, when God is really big in our life and we believe in the goodness of Jesus, the things around us that can be so troubling, like work or school or family troubles or relationship struggles, the impact that they have on our life, they just become a little bit less and less. And no, it doesn't minimize or dismiss the trouble. Like the trouble is there, the, the hardship is there. And no, it's not fun. And yes, it can get to us. But when God becomes bigger, we're able to work through them just a little bit better. Like when we rest and trust deeply in the Lord, studying and meditating on all of who God is, when we gaze upon the goodness of God, even in our trial and our pain and our hurt, when our hope is in the Lord, when our hope is in Jesus and not our circumstances, y'all, we can always find a reason to rejoice and find joy. Because in Jesus, we have a promise of peace. Because in Jesus, we have rest. In Jesus, we can bring our weariness and our sorrow and our heartache and know that in time, God will comfort us and renew our strength. Will it take time? 
Yes. Will it be easy? No. But New City, we serve a resurrecting God that seeks to redeem and restore all things. Some things may, redeem, may be redeemed and renewed in this life, and some may be redeemed and renewed in the next. In the next. But in Christ, there is hope and redemption. In Christ, there is hope for our future. God is a God that pulls people out of deep pits. God is a God that brings newness and new life and new hope and new grace day after day after day. In Jesus, we can, we can sing in our sorrow. We can sing in our pain. And we can rejoice in our satisfaction that we find in the Lord. No matter where we are in life, y'all, our God, he will meet us there. No matter where we are in, are in our life, we always have a reason to hope. Because when we are in Christ, he says to us, you are deeply loved. He says to us, today, if you are in Christ, you are highly favored. You are chosen. You are set apart. He says to you, the God of the universe says to you, you are my beloved child. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. In that church, that can lead our hearts to smile, and it can lead our hearts to rejoice and to find joy. New City, he looks at us with divine grace today, and he says, I'm with you. He looks at us and says, I've, I've, give, I've got strength to give, give you. He says, nothing is impossible with me. And no, we don't know what it looks like or how it will play out, but I do know for over 2,000 years, God has been doing this for his people. Again, he's been pulling people out of deep pits and he, is, he stands us, he stands his people on a firm foundation of Jesus and he lifts our weary souls to look to the hope that is found in Jesus to find, leading us to find an ultimate joy. Knowing that one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more grief, no more loss, no more frustration. It will be forever unhindered joy that will not be mixed in with the pain and sadness of this world. And when the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary, hope was announced, joy was announced, grace and mercy and forgiveness it was declared. And us today, when we look out at our world, we can rejoice not because our life is awesome, but because the foundation of our faith, it is sure and steady. We can rejoice as we've seen today because Jesus has shown us grace that we did not deserve. We can rejoice because we serve a big God who can overcome the impossible. We can rejoice because we have a community around us that wants to love us and encourage us and ultimately we can rejoice because church Jesus is enough. We can rejoice today because God sent us hope and joy that will last forever and ever and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us today. When, we, when it seems as if nothing else in life we have to be hopeful for, we always have, in Christ, we have a hope and a sure foundation. We have a reason to hope today because of Jesus Christ. God, if there's anybody in here that has never given their life to Jesus, I pray that today they would find that faith, they would put their faith in Jesus that would move them to hope and find an everlasting joy that would last forever. God, we need your we need your help today. We say we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.